0: Go with me in the Old Testament, please, to the book of uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to go. We're not going to read a ton of it. I'll just read the end of it to you. But let me tell you the, 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 the little quick story here. We got just the backup for the last two chapters. The summary version is Elijah. Uh, go says there's no rain, except at my word. Three years later, he comes back to Ahab and he says there's going to be rain. That's chapter 17 and 18. He said there's going to be rain. And uh, <laughs> and he says, uh, we're going we're gonna to have to deal with some things first. Do you remember? So he calls the prophets of Baal. And remember, they jump and shout and buck and snort and nothing happens. And he, the fire of God falls for him. Then he slays them. Yeah. And then he goes up and he says, now you go eat and drink. I'm going to go pray. I preached this two weeks ago on a Wednesday. If you weren't here, you need to get it about paying the, price of, uh, paying the price for the season and prayer. He goes up and he prays. The rain comes. He outruns Ahab to Jezreel, which is the capital of Samaria in the northern kingdom. It, uh, the northern kingdom was the kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. He's the king over the north. Jezreel is their capital in Samaria. That's where his wife... Uh, we know she's real ugly. We know that Jezebel was really ugly. How do you say, how do you know? Well, we know that because later on when Jehu comes and, 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 and she dies... Uh, The Bible says she looked out of the window at Jehu and she was painting her face. She's so ugly, she had to put paint on it. She wanted anyone to see what she looks like. Jenny, she was ugly, hideous. Inside. No, outside too. Um... (laughs) No, I have, to, I have to try to take pot shots at Jezebel because she's so demon-possessed and she's so evil. We don't like anything about her. So it makes us feel better to say she was evil and ugly because I don't think anybody ugly needs to put paint on your face. What are you trying to hide? You're trying to hide your ugliness. What you are trying to hide? Anyway, that's that's not my message today. That would be pretty weak if that's why you came to church. But anyway, so we see that uh, we, we know that she's ugly, even though you don't agree, Reverend Dan. But I believe she was ugly. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is she's evil and uh, he's just come from 400 prophets, 400 prophets, plus a whole nation that, he, that God turned their hearts because of the fire then he's killed 400 prophets because they were an abomination to God. I mean, this is a man of power. He's just interceded. The rain has come and he's run faster than a horse and chariot mm-hmm. supernaturally by the power of God, like Superman. He comes in. I mean, this is the moment of climax glory. Wow. Look at what God's done. And one ugly old, ugly, old demonized woman scares the life out of him. It shows the power of darkness that was, that was in Jezebel's life. That one lady could make the prophet of power become jelly. And she says, I'm going to kill you. She said, if I don't have your head on a platter by the same time tomorrow, God do so to me. In other words, if you don't die, I'll kill myself kind of attitude. I'm going to get you. And he runs with his servant. And they run for their life. Now, God didn't tell them to run. There's nothing in the Bible that indicated God wanted them to run, but sometimes people just get afraid. And we know that Elijah was a man tempted as we are because in the book of James, James uses Elijah as an example. And he says, as Elijah was a man of like passion, so are we. In other words, Elijah was a powerful man of God, but Elijah was also afraid. Elijah didn't do everything right. And James is trying to say, but his prayers were powerful. What he's trying to say is, we're we're human. We make mistakes, but your prayers can affect change. That's what James is saying. And he uses Elijah as an example there in the book of James. But Elijah is so afraid, he runs. Then he tells his servant to stay put. And he goes off on his own into the wilderness. He gets so depressed, so low, that he falls down under the juniper tree and says, I just want to die. God, kill me. I mean, that's a pretty low place where you're asking God to kill you. It didn't say he was going to kill himself. He just gave up of life. So this great prophet, because of a woman, a demonized woman, mm-hmm. is wants to die. And he keeps going, and the angel comes, gives him food and water or twice, and then he says, go 40 days. And so he goes 40 days in that strength, and he gets to the Mount of God, and he's in the cave, and I won't read it all to you, but basically God asks him, why are you here? <laughs> when a God asks you why you're somewhere that's an indication that that's not where you should be. Yes. Because if you're in the perfect will of God, God's not gonna say, yes. it's like God saying to me, why are you pastoring Promise of Life Church? Right. That would indicate I'm not supposed to be pastoring that's Promise right. of Life Church, yes. right? Or like he said to me last week, why is Taylor on your staff? I mean, that's an indicator to me that maybe Taylor shouldn't be on this. <laughs> yeah, Why is Greg on your board? That's an indication to me, brother Taylor. So uh, when God asks you why you're here, you better check because God already knows why you're there. He's asking you in a way that should make you nervous. And he answers God and the, it's basically a long whine. I'm the only one left, there's nobody but me. Everybody's bowed their knee to bail, they're trying to kill me, I'm the last one. That's a whine. I want you to understand something, God doesn't like whiners. That's why the children of Israel, the whine, the, the gripers got the vipers. They griped and they whined, and the snakes came in. Yes, yeah. Remember, remember David, David Horton? When he, he didn't pastor very long because he's not called to be a pastor, he, he'd fail because he's so different. He's called to be a traveling minister. Some traveling ministers will destroy a church if they try to pastor. It. But for the short time he did pastor, you know what his logo was? It wasn't a nice logo like people have on their pulpits, the logo of the church. He had the word wine with a big circle and a red X through it. And that's what he, that's just, that's just, that was his logo. Stop whining. Well, as you can see, he didn't succeed in pastoring for very long. And then he had to go on the road again. <laughs> but, but God doesn't like whiners. And so when Elijah is whining, I'm the last one and they're trying to kill me. My life is, God says to him, I'm giving you the field very quick synopsis. He says, go out of the cave, go up to the top of the mountain. And he does. And then God does three massive, well, really four, but three massive demonstrations. There's a massive fire. There's a massive wind and there's an earthquake. And God's not in any of them. He, he authored them, but he wasn't using them. Do you understand? Then there's a still small voice that comes to Elijah. And then he goes back. In other words, what God is communicating through that experience is all the blustering and all this and that. You know, I can do all that stuff, but the way I'm gonna save you from that ugly, evil woman who paints her face, I'm gonna save you with a still small voice. I can keep you safe she can come after you as long as she wants. You just killed 400 prophets. What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. She can threaten you as long as she wants, as much as she wants. You've got me. I'll protect you. Don't you be afraid. That's what he was saying to him in that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when this big thing that has just happened, he goes back into the cave. Right. And God asks him a second time, why are you here? Mm-hmm. Now, God already asked the first time, which he shouldn't have had to ask. He's already answered with a whine, which displeased God. God's now demonstrated himself to him and given him his answer. I will protect you with a still small voice from all that would come against you. Trust me. Now he's asking, he's giving him a chance to redeem himself. He says again, why are you here? And instead of being smart, Elijah, as a man like and done to us with like passions and weaknesses, does, gives the exact same word for word answer as the first answer. Oh, but another kill me. I'm the last one. They seek my life. There's nobody else but me. Everybody's, di- everybody's disgraced you. The same answer, he already answered once wrong. When God just demonstrates himself and then asks you the same question, don't answer the same way. Don't you know that's the wrong answer? answer? This is God we're talking about, not your high school teacher. That's right. This is not the government calling to ask about your tax situation. This is God Almighty that is talking to him. When he asks you the first time and you answer wrong and he shows you that he's displeased and he asks you again to give you another chance, don't answer the same way. But he did answer the same thing he said before. And what happened is when you provoke God, you're going to pay a price for it. And really what happened is he lost his anointing at that moment. People don't realize that because there were still de- demonstrations of God that continued in the life of Elijah after this experience, but not the way you think. The anointing to be the main prophet passed from him at that moment. So pick it up with me, if you would, please, in in uh, the, the book of First Kings chapter 19. And uh, I'll read you the wine. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down their altar, slain thy prophets with a sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Boo hoo hoo. Get over it. He's already answered God wrong. God's already corrected him. He's answered God wrong a second time. Verse 14 is the second response. Now watch what God does. And the Lord said unto him, go. God didn't give him another chance, Taylor. Go return thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest anoint Hazel to be king of Assyria and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, thou shalt anoint to be king over Israel and Elisha, the son of Saphat, thou shalt anoint to be prophet in thy room. That means in your place. In other words, you've just lost, you've just lost your prophet's office. You're going to anoint him now instead of you. And then by the way, after the wine, I'm the only one left, God just corrects him a little bit in verse 18. And he says, and yes, by the way, I've got 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed their knee. You don't think you're the only one, son. I got lots of people that I can use. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Saphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the 12th and Elijah passed by him and cast his, his mantle upon him. And he left the yoke and ran after Elijah and said, "Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee." And he said unto him, "Go back! What have I done? What have I done to you?" And Elijah wasn't exactly the most encouraging mentor, was he? He didn't say, "Oh yes, son, go ahead. I'll be waiting for you here." He just said, "What have I done to you? What are you talking about? Get out of here. Do whatever you want. I don't care." That's the spirit of it. He did encourage him, but then again, he returned back, and he took a yoke of then boiled their flesh and instruments of the auction, gave it to the people, and they did eat, and they rose and went. He rose and went after Elijah and ministered, ministered unto him. And that word ministered is the Hebrew word sharath, and it means to attend as a menial servant and to wait upon. Later, we read that he poured water over the hands of Elijah. That means he was getting his breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He was making fires. He was making their camp. He was washing his clothes. Now listen, I want you to see something. The anointing has come on Elisha to be the prophet. So why is he making dinner? Because there's a principle that we all have to learn and some of us never learn it. The Bible says to whom, the Bible says uh, that that he calls many. Many are called, but few are chosen. He calls a lot of people but he only chooses a handful. Why? Because the ones called never passed the tests to become chosen. He called David, but David had to pass some tests for 15 years before God chose him in Hebron and anointed him. He He called Elisha. But Elijah had seven to eight years, theologians tell us, of serving the man of God before God would find him worthy and say, now the anointing to call you is fine. I wanted you to do this, but now you've actually paid the price. Now you've actually passed the test. Now you've actually gone through the season of preparation and humility and servanthood. Now I can trust you. So not only did I call you, but now I'm going to choose you. Are you with me? So I'm going to talk to you from my heart a little bit this morning. The Lord started dealing with me on August the 2nd of this year early in the morning. Now we're already October the 4th, so it's been a couple months ago. All year long, I've known that this is an important year. We've been talking about it last year, the year before, that this is a year of takeoff, that this is a year we were going to step into that anointing. We were going to pick up that mantle. I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't know how it looked. All I know is that that's what God said, so my job was to talk about it. But that's what he's talking about to me. So I, so I started talking about it, but I, I must be honest with you, all through this year, I've been saying, dear God, am I, you better talk to me about, Lord, I know this is the year. This is our Hebron year. This is when you hear me say Hebron year, what we're talking, that means, that statement is very simple. What it means is it's the year to pick up the anointing. You say, but you already are anointed, but it's a different kind of anointing. Okay. When you hear Hebron, I'm talking about the mantle right. that Dr. Dufresne, when this building disappeared in, in June 28th at about 1145 AM and he looked up and the, sky, the this building disappeared. He saw an open vision and a, he saw the hand of God drop a mantle on this church. That assignment, that holy mantle, that anointing, which is basically the mantle is an anointing on, on an assignment. It's God's power for an assigned purpose. Now, now, since that, that rocked my world. That changed everything on June 28th, 2010. It's never been the same and it never will be the same. And God used my Elijah, yeah. my man of God, to, 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 to have that experience, the prophet, the man, Dr. Ed Dufresne. Yes, you can't have those things, try to create them yourself. It has to be come through a higher office. It has to come through somebody you're submitted to. Yes. Do you understand? And so God, since that, I, we've been on this journey. And so I'm talking to you today about the journey and where we are today. So when you hear me say Hebron year, what we're talking about is God said to me with, with David, 15 years, part of it, he served Saul, part of it, he was on the run from Saul. But at the end of 15 years, he left Ziglag, he, Saul died, he went to Hebron. Hebron is where he sat down for the first time as a king. He actually, he, the, anoint, the elders came, anointed him a second time. Samuel anointed him in the, in the father's courtyard, but now the elders were anointing him in Hebron because it spoke of him becoming the king. He sat down in the, in the anointing that he was destined for. So because God said this mantle that Dr. saw is going to come in 2020, when you hear me say Hebron year, that's what I'm talking about. Are we all on the same page? So I've been saying all year, Lord, I have no idea how this mantle is coming, how to pick it up, what to do. And it's obviously a pretty important thing because you've been talking to us for three years about it. And you've been preparing us for much longer, for 15 years for it. So I don't want to miss it. I don't want to make a mistake here. And he didn't say anything in January and he didn't say anything in February and he didn't say anything in March And he didn't say anything in April or May or June or July and i'm starting to get nervous Because i'm thinking oh my god He's not talking to me, but i've been talking about this year and I don't know what to tell the people I don't know what to do myself because i've got to make sure we don't miss it This is our hebron year. This is a year. He said we're going to take off This is the year. He said we're going to sit down like david This is, represents this special anointing that god do, had dr. Dufresne talk about is coming on us But he won't talk to me about it in the year that it's happening And I was starting to get a bit nervous. Well, thank God for the Holy Ghost. He's never late. He's not always early either, but he's always on time. So in God's mind, August the 2nd was right on time. So I'm reading this and he starts to talk to me in the early hours of the morning on August the 2nd. And he said said some things to me. The first thing he said is, did you notice that Elisha was like David? In that, David was privately anointed in the courtyard had a season of preparation and servanthood and then then was secondarily anointed sat down in hebron to fulfill his destiny do you remember remember, he was technically the king the anointing came on him instead of saul but saul kept acting like the king because the season of preparation had not come to its fullness. Now, he said, showed me the parallel. He said, I didn't see this with Elisha before. I didn't even connect my mind with this. So he was bringing my attention. Why was he talking to me about Elisha? Because he's always talked to us about David. He's talking to us, Elisha, because David is a macrocosm for the entire bigger picture. David is the 15 years. It's the seven and a half years of Hebron, and it's the years of Jerusalem, which speaks of the last day, great revival. He's used David as a big picture symbol in my life. But Elisha, he brought Elisha to me this year on August 2nd because The story of Elisha, in this case, there's a parallel with our church and with me, and Elisha is very specific about the years leading up to 2020 and 2020 and the years after 2020. It's more of a microcosm within the macro. Do you understand? So he was drawing my attention to the parallel of David and Elisha because he needs to talk to me about Elisha, and that's what I'm sharing with you today. So he said, did you notice David was anointed? But there was a season that anointing didn't really work for him. And then all of a sudden he sets down in Hebron and it starts. Yeah. Yeah. Then he said, did you notice Elisha was anointed? He was the prophet. Sure. But there's a season that didn't seem to work for him no. until, he, until the plain of Jordan, when he was taken up in a whirlwind and the mantle falls from Elijah and he picks it up. That's when Elisha's ministry started. That's right. and, and he asked me, he said, did you notice why it didn't really work for him? I said, yes, Lord, if he was the king, David, why didn't How come Saul kept doing that? And if he was the prophet, why did Elijah keep doing that? Because the season of preparation and servanthood had not come to its fullness. So this is what he said to me. He said, the first anointing that came on David and that came on Elisha, that's what God said to me. He said it was the separation anointing, meaning God was separating David's life. He was marking him. He was saying, Well, we could call it the calling anointing. He was saying, I call you. This is what I want you to do. This is my plan for you. He separated him by that anointing. Uh, This is my my purpose for your future. But now it's completely up to David if he positions himself faithfully during that season. Because if he doesn't, many are called. Many have the calling anointing, but very few get the chosen anointing. He had to be faithful and he had to be patient and he had to be humble and he had to obey God through many years of testing, many years of pride-sucking, pride-swallowing decisions and keeping a right heart even towards Saul who hated him and not killing him when he could have. Do you remember? He had all that teasing until when Hebron the anointing came on him, but the first anointing was to mark and separate him for what God wanted. The second anointing was God saying, it starts today. It was a a manifesting anointing. That anointing in Hebron started what he was set apart for but could not walk in. Are you listening? Elisha had the same thing. That's what God was showing me. There was a separation anointing when Elijah threw the coat on him while he was plowing. He was marked by God. He was set apart by God. This is what I've called you to do. But it was completely up to Elisha whether he would actually walk in it. Because for eight years he had to serve he had to be humble. He had to be faithful He had to pass tests. It was not up to god whether he was actually chosen It was only up to god whether he was called Are you listening to me? God called sovereignly, but it's up to the individual called if they will position themselves by obedience to ever position themselves for God's chosen anointing to come on them. God calls many, but he chooses few, not because he chooses few, but because few position themselves to be chosen by him. And Elisha was anointed, separated, smart by God, but it took years of him serving with the right heart, menial duties, Pride swallowing duties until God finally said, you've passed the test. Now when he comes in the plain of Jordan and the guy goes up, Elijah goes up in the whirlwind, now God is saying, I approve of you. You were anointed and marked and separated, but I've watched you and you've done right. Now here's the anointing to actually do what I've called you to do. Are you with me? So the Lord said to me, son, the same parallel is in your life and the life of this ministry your, there was a separation anointing that came on you. But unlike these two men, the separation anointing came on me twice. It only came on them once. There was two, there was a duality in the separation anointing or the marking anointing or the calling anointing. One did 2004, God did it particularly because it marked a 15 year beginning. He had to do it because that 15 years was coming up to 2019. And that 15 year parallel with David, God wanted that intact because 2020 is a new year for us. So that happened in Peru with Dr. Dufresne. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. But God was still, he was marking, he was separating me, saying, i got something for you, son. But for six years, from four to ten, 2004 to 2010, I had to position myself because I was going to get out of the will of God and go to Peru. So after all that time, working as an associate pastor, repositioning myself, changing a lot of things, I finally got in line. I got rightly positioned. See, he marked me, but it took me six years to get in the right place. Then in 2010, the roof disappeared and that anointing came. Yeah. Listen to me. That mantle that Dr. Dufresne saw in 2010 did not come on us for us to execute the mantle. That mantle that came, came in part only as, an, as a separation, marking, calling, anointing. It did not come as a manifesting, executing anointing. What God was saying through Dr. Dufresne, I didn't know this at the time, I had to learn all this. And Dr. Dufresne didn't tell me this either. I had to figure this out by lots of praying and seeking God. What God did in that, he was, he was basically doing part two of two. He, he, he marked me in Peru, say there's something coming, get rightly positioned, and I obeyed. Six years later, he marked me again. He marked this ministry, he marked you, he marked this church again by that mantle coming to let us know you're marked, you're called. There's a purpose on you for something bigger than just the average church. There's something on this church. There's a destiny on this church. And I'm marking and I'm calling you. And that separation anointing has come on you when Dr. Dufresne was your first. He did it privately, but through doctor. Privately because nobody knew me in Peru. Then he did it publicly again through doctor here with everyone in front of everybody. And then it took me another six years to qualify for that from 2010 to 2016. In other words, uh, we knew that baton had to be passed. And then at the end of 16, I knew that whatever those quali- I won't get into it all, but with the qualifications that we had to do, and there was a number of them, we had passed that test. So in other words, we have that, we have, we've held on to that anointing. Then in 17, he started talking. I knew 16 was a big, so it was a change coming in 17. I didn't know what it was. Then in 17, January 17, he starts talking to us about the life of David, about the 15 years, about the 12 that we'd already completed, about three more years, and then a year of takeoff. That was 17, 18, and 19. So then we go into 17, we go into 18, we go into 19, now we're in 20. So it's been 15 years from the initial fray, first of that separation, and then of course in 2010 was was, was another, another section when that came. I'm trying to get you to understand what God was, God was, he was showing me. He was trying to say there is a parallel here between both of these men. Did you notice both? I separated, both had to take a season of faithful submission and preparation, and then both got that anointing to actually execute and manifest my call on them. And he said, don't think the anointing is on you yet because it's not. Are you listening to me? You see me anointed to preach. That's not the anointing I'm talking about. You see me anointed to pray for the sick. That's not the anointing I'm talking about. I'm under the anointing from that perspective, have been since I started preaching 30 years ago. I'm not talking about that simple, basic anointing to preach and teach and pray for the sick or to be a pastor. I'm talking about something completely different. I'm talking about an anointing, an anointing with an assignment for a city. Yes, And I don't know how that's going to play out But I didn't know how this was going to play out either And he's been taking me step by step And he'll take us step by step into the future You ask me today How on earth are you going to affect your honor? I'd say I have no cotton picking clue But all I know is that one day at a time One revelation at a time And not try to figure everything out Because I can't figure it out All I know is that when I say I don't have the anointing yet I'm not talking about the general anointing to preach I'm talking about this mantle. It's different It's different so, he was showing me on August the 2nd, it came, the, the separation, the mark on you and on your ministry came in two, two times, both by doctor, 2004 and 2010, but that mantle has not come on you fully yet because you've had to go through a season like they did, and that season was going all the way through until 19, 15 years, six, six, and three, three different sections of it. And I told you last year and the year before 2020 is going to be a big year 2020 is going to be a year and then he remember he started a takeoff and I didn't really know what that meant Now I do 2020 is going to be here to pick up that mantle. I just knew it. It's going to be david sat down We're going to sit down david got anointed now I see now he started to show me the parallel He said do you see the parallel between david and elisha? I said yes He said do you see the parallel between you and david? I said yes He said now it's the same with you and elisha. There's that same parallel just like elisha was marked then it came he said, now you've been marked. Now it's coming in 2020. Yeah. Are you with me still? Yes. Now listen to this. He said to me, just as David entered a place called Hebron, which was synonymous with receiving that special anointing. Yes. So Elisha entered a place called the plain of Jordan. That's right. It was on the plain of Jordan, just westward of the Jordan River. Oh, you know how the, the map works? you've got the country of Israel and its far eastern border is the is the river jordan it's the border on the other side present day is the country of jordan now in those days it wasn't they weren't separate countries it was all just israel's land but back now it's the country of jordan that israel that the jordan river marks the boundary so elijah and elijah are walking from jericho which is in israel and they're walking east They go now down through the Jordan, up through the Jordan River, and they keep walking east. What in present day, they're walking into the country of Jordan. Uh, Israel's at their back. Uh, You understand? They're going eastward. In that place, which is a physical place called the plain of Jordan, it's just nothing, it's like a little desert, a little mini desert. In that place called the plain of Jordan is where the, uh, the chariot of fire came and the whirlwind tornado came and took Elijah to heaven. That's where the mantle fell. That's where he picked up the mantle. And that's where he received, like David and Hebron, the special anointing to fulfill his ministry. He had been anointed for years, but he had to prove, pay a price. Like David, like us. So the Lord started, he said, was all this, all of that was to say this. He was trying to say, son, just as David entered Hebron to receive his anointing for ministry. So Elisha entered the plain to receive his anointing for ministry. And you have entered into 2020, which has been called the the season of Hebron to receive your mantle that Dr. Dufresne saw. I said, I understand all that, Lord. He said, so therefore, 2020 for you is Hebron. I said, yes. And he said, 2020 is also the plain of Jordan because it's a parallel. Do you understand? So he said, I'm going to show you through the life of Elisha a parallel for your ministry and life in the year 2020. Mm -hmm. So you understand. Remember, I've been asking him for seven months and two days. Lord, what does this year hold? Lord, what does this year hold? Lord, I don't want to miss something. Show me what this year holds. You said this is an important year, but you're not talking to me about this year. So he's answering my prayer. He's saying, I'm going to show you what 2020 means, but not through the life of David, through the life of Elisha, because there's a parallel. Just as he entered the plane, you've entered the plane. The plane is the place of picking up the mantle. It was for, for Elisha and it is for you. Are you ready? So he started talking to me about. Elisha. Can I share with you what he said to me? So you understand the backstory and you understand where we're going with this. You sure you're okay? You're not too bored? Hopefully you're not bored at all because it's not boring. If you are bored, then I need to help you with the laying on of the fivefold ministry right here. So I'm now poised, Taylor. I'm ready. I understand. Now, everything I've just shared with you, he downloaded in about 90 seconds to me but it takes that long to try to explain it to you. But it took me 90 seconds to get what he was saying about this Elisha David connection. Okay. So then I said, Lord, I'm ready. What do you want to show me? There's something about Elisha about this year. Now what I'm on the plane of Jordan right now. So what's going on here? How do I handle 2020 skillfully so that I pick up what you asked me to pick up what doctor saw? He saw the beginnings of it, but now we're seeing the fullness of it. And he said these words to me. Are you ready? Did you notice that Elisha entered the plain, the place to receive the anointing, the plain of Jordan, for his own ministry, which was his Hebron year, representative of his Hebron year. Did you notice that as he, before he entered that plain, there were three distinct locations that he had to go to first? Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan. So likewise, I have taken you through three seasons before your Hebron year. They are a direct parallel. What I spoke to you about those three seasons match exactly the three locations for Elisha. So he's, he's not even talking to me about 2020 yet. He's talking to me about the lead up of 2020. Yeah, yeah. See, God does things in order. So he said, I said, Lord, are you kidding me? Yeah, I didn't know that. I would have never thought that. It didn't even cross my mind until he said it to me. But see, look at the mastery of God. Here we are doing stuff for three years, 17, 18, and 19, and it's all already, he already knows scripture for it. Yeah. Didn't tell me about it. Waits till we're past that season and then brings me up to speed. Yeah, amen. He said to me, what did I tell you to call 2017? I said, Lord, you told me it was a year of speaking. Yeah. He said, and what does Bethel mean? Bethel was the first place he went. If you study Bethel in the Bible, the, word, the, the name Bethel means house of God, but if you study what, what happened in Bethel, it was a place of revelation or speaking. In Genesis 13, God revealed and spoke to Abraham in Bethel. In Genesis 28, God spoke and revealed to Jacob in Bethel. And both men multiple times went back to Bethel to seek God for his voice. Bethel represents a place where God reveals or speaks. Bethel was the first of three locations that Elisha went to with his spiritual father. Yes. Bethel, the year 2017, was the first year in our journey yes. toward our plain of Hebron. Yeah, that's right. I didn't know it back then, but he had said, he didn't show me this till August 2nd. But if you remember, I kept saying to you as a congregation, this is a year God is saying some stuff. Yes. The next year was a year, remember 2018, our second stop on the journey. God said to me, tell the people, this is the year I start some things. And he started Africa. He started the IPM ministry in Israel. He started the South Asian thing. He started a lot of things. It was a year of starting. Well, now he goes down to the second stop on his journey called Jericho. Do you know what Jericho represents and stands for? It's a place of beginnings. It's the place of start. Because when they came out of the land of Israel, when they came out of the wilderness, what's the first place that God took them to in their conquest? Jericho. Jericho was the first, it was the beginning, it was the start, it was a place of start, it was a place of beginning for the children of Israel, the first place was Jericho that they went to. And what did God say to us? You see the parallel here? I'm not, make, I'm not trying to make this up, God said this to me because I didn't even know it existed. He's trying to show me my hand, son, has been leading you without you even knowing it. Amen. Even though you've been telling the people, year of starting, year of speaking, year of starting, year of settling, you, you don't even know fully what that meant. No, that's true. But I'm telling you now what it meant so that you'll bring up to speed. In the first year, I said some things like he went to Bethel. In the second year, I started some things like he went to Jericho. And the third year, we, he, what did he say to me? He said, tell the people this is a year of settling. Yeah. You all still with me? A year of saying, a year of starting, a year of settling. Three years, 17, 18, 19, leading up to the year of takeoff, which is this year. What did, look at this, look at the parallel. What did Elisha do? He went through Bethel. He went through a place of God saying. He went through Jericho, a place of God starting. He went through Jordan, a place of God settling on his way to the plain where he got his anointing, which was his year of Ebron. Amen. You, couldn't, you couldn't make it more, you couldn't make that up. You couldn't make that up. I'm telling you, you couldn't make that up. So let me talk to you for a few minutes before we go on about what the plain of Jordan represents, about what what Jordan represents, because it's very important and it's very powerful. And if you don't understand Jordan, then you won't understand the rest. Remember when the Israelites left the 40 years and they came and they were coming in before they even got to Jericho? They were just leaving the wilderness. Where, what did they have to do? They had to go through Jordan in order to get to the promised land. That's right. Are you with me now? They went when they went what happened? They put their the priests put their feet on the uh, in the banks and the water stood up mm-hmm, right. Do you remember that yeah. and they went through on dry land? Jer- jordan represents technically theologically it represents a place of separation But it also represents a place of confirmation or validation What we could call a place of establishing or settling. That's why he said it's a year of settling because it matches perfectly yeah. What happened in Jordan when they went through Jordan and God separated the waters what it means is listen Are you with me? The separation of waters always symbolizes a separation of seasons What God was saying is as the waters separate So the years of the 40 years of wilderness is over and the years of promised land have begun. It was a new season for them. It was a year, it was an act of separation and it was a way of God saying, I'm validating, I'm confirming you. You have come out of one and I've got my blessing on you to go into another. It was a year where he validated, he showed them this is a demarcation line, something new is about to come. That's what Jordan represented for the children of Israel. Even when the whole country came out, member of of, of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's land, Egypt, what did God do? They come up to the Red Sea, God separated the waters. And what happened? They went through and God was saying, this is a demarcation line, nation of Israel. The 400 years are over and the promised land is ahead. He separated the waters and he separated the seasons. And they went through on dry land and they would have gone in except they griped. They didn't go to David Horton's church. They would have learned about whining. They griped, and then they went to the 40 years wilderness. 400 years, they went through water. Now 40 years of the wilderness, they go through a river with waters, as separation. Are you seeing how God thinks he's very symbolic? It's the end of one season and the beginning of another. He confirmed it. He established them. They each took tribes, each took 12 stones, and they set it up as a memorial for God, both in the river, then the water covered the stones, as well as in their, amongst their tents. They set up a, a memorial for God of 12 stones to represent. God was saying, I am confirming, I am validating. The season has changed. You are coming into something new. I said, give me a New Testament scripture about Jordan. I'd like one from the New Testament, Lord, from about this, not just what the Old Testament did. And he said, look at your Savior. And I started thinking about Jesus. Jesus lived his whole life, 30 years. Why did he pick 30 years? Have you ever asked yourself that? Because according to Mosaic law, a man could not be a rabbi until they're 30 years old. It wasn't him just choosing 30. It was the law of Moses that dictated a rabbi cannot be a rabbi until he's 30. So Jesus spent all that time preparing, training. He was going through his season of of submission and humility. Was he not? working, making tables and chairs instead of raising the dead, because that was not his time. Wow. See, them. the anointing separated him, really at birth. The anointing also separated him at 12 years old because everybody acknowledged something's on this kid. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Even the teachers of the law. See, that was the separation anointing yeah. at his birth and at 12 years old, yeah. separating. Now he goes 18 years of a preparation season until finally he goes now to get the anointing to minister where did he get it? In the wilderness. What did he have to do before he went into the wilderness? Had to go through Jordan. He comes to Jordan. The waters don't separate like we see, you know, like that. But by his baptism, it was a separation. What, when you get baptized, what are you saying? I am dead to my old life and I raise up to a new life in Christ. That's why we get baptized. Jesus was doing that, but he had nothing to repent of. But what he was saying is, I have the old 30 years of preparation season is over. And I come now to newness of my call, my purpose, and my ministry under God. He came up out of that water, and it was the water. He separated the waters with his baptism. Do you see me? You understand what I'm saying? He separated it. Hope you see the, the mastery of God's symbolism in all this. He separated the waters. There was a demarcation line. And God was saying, the old is gone, and you come now to your purpose on the earth. See, Jordan is very, and, and now, now what else did God do? God confirmed by them putting 12 stones there. He confirmed that they had gone through the season and that his blessing was on them. Well, the same thing happened with Jesus. Do you remember how God confirmed it? He comes up out of the water and there's an audible voice for everyone present to hear. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What, if that's not a confirmation. What is? God was saying to him, I'm pleased with you. I'm confirming you. I'm establishing you. I'm settling it once and for all that this old season is over and you're about to enter into what I've made you for. Jesus, go forth and get that anointing. That's what Jordan represented. It was a season, it represented change. It represented the end of one, the beginning of another. It represented separation from one life and the beginning of a new life. It represented God affirming and establishing and settling that change of season. Jesus went through it and we have to go through it, and the children of Israel went through it. Let me tell you something that I heard Dad Hagen say years ago. It'll help you. He said, God always works in patterns. He said, if you can find a pattern that God worked with in the Bible, in most cases, he'll work the same pattern with you. God works with patterns what I'm showing you from David's life, Elisha's life, the children of Israel's life, Jesus's life is a pattern. If God worked in Jesus's life, the same pattern that he worked in the children of Israel's life, going through Jordan, the same that Elisha went through going through Jordan. Don't you think this is just coincidence and chance it is all part of a pattern that God uses. And Jesus actually, if you studied, he walked the exact same steps that Elisha walked. He walked literally eastward through the Jordan, got baptized just like Elisha did with Elijah. He went over the eastern bank. He walked into the plain because as soon as he came up out of the water, it says the spirit drove him into the wilderness for him to fast and pray that he would receive the anointing. Elisha came through the Jordan, went into the Jordan wilderness, which was that plain. And that's where that mantle, that anointing came on him. You see the pattern that God uses. Mm -hmm. It's amazing to me how flawless the word of God is. And yet most of us are so, so slow and so slow of thought that we don't realize the patterns that God is doing. And then, Mm -hmm. and then when God tries to get some patterns over to us, then that religious spirit says, Oh, you're not worthy of that. Who do you think you are? You, God wouldn't do that with you. You're just little old you. Well, you know what? Elijah, according to James, was just a little old guy too. True. Sure. He said he was a like man. In other words, don't put him on too much of a pedestal. He had, he, he had problems just like us, yet God used him. Yes. Do you understand? And so what I'm not trying to be narcissistic or prideful. What I'm saying is I didn't ask for this and I didn't create this. God came to me and he said, I'm going to show you a pattern in my word that's already happened for you and you don't even know it's happened yet. Maybe it's good that he showed me afterward. Maybe, I, maybe it's good that I didn't know it beforehand. Maybe it's good that it happened without my knowledge these three years and these three seasons and I didn't even know that it was in the Bible so that I couldn't claim like I'm trying to apply something to me that I shouldn't try to apply. He came to me afterward on August the 2nd this year and said, there's been a beautiful parallel. Son. It's been the exact same as Elisha. Praise God. Hallelujah. God spoke from heaven and said, I'm pleased with you. So remember now, can I say one more thing about Jordan then I'll move on? Remember that Elisha is with his father, yeah. Elijah. Yes. Remember, they go through Jordan and Elijah the father demonstrates power. He smashes it with his mantle and the waters part. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's a confirmation that the season has changed and they go through. Yeah. So look at the parallel with Jesus. Jesus goes through the Jordan and his father not his spiritual father, his actual father displays power by speaking audibly for all to hear and by having a dove come down and rest upon him. That was a demonstration of the father's confirming power of Jesus's change of season from the old to the new. Just like the natural, the spiritual father, Elijah, had power demonstrated as Elisha went through the waters and they split as a confirming evidence that this old season is over and a new season begins. Do you see the parallel there? It's beautiful. Elisha's with his father and Jesus is with his father, both through the Jordan, both the change of season and both with a confirming power displayed. My God. So the Lord started showing me this about Bethel, Jericho and Jordan. And what is Jordan? A time of settling, establishing, validating, separating. What did I say in 2019? By the Spirit, because I didn't know this, it's a year of settling. It's a year of establishment. It's a year of confirmation. And that's exactly, we have gone on three steps in our journey. I don't know if you're excited about it, but I'm excited about it. Nothing makes me more thrilled, Dan, than to know that we were in the perfect will of God, even though sometimes I doubted it. Because he didn't give me all this then. I was going on faith. He would say, it's a year of speaking, tell the people that. Okay. It's a year of starting. Tell the people that. Okay. It's a year of settling. Tell the people that. Okay. If he had given me this, I would have been much more confident. But he didn't. I just had to do it by faith. Right. Guys, it's a year of speaking, starting and settling. And I have no idea why, but that's what God said. And we saw a measure of it happen in the natural. And I said, now next year, 2020 is going to be a year of takeoff. It's going to be a year of getting the anointing. No clue about the plain of Jordan. Never seen it that way before in my life. So the Lord said to me, I want to show you these things so that you understand what has led you up to this year. Are you you at least a little bit happy that we're not in the dark? Some pastors find it hard to find the church. (laughs) And then they can't find their box of all their sermons and then they don't know which one to pick for a Sunday morning. I'm just so grateful that we're not like that. We're in the know and we're in the perfect will of God and God's revealing it. Even when I doubted it, I was there and I didn't even know I was right i just knew it but i didn't have evidence for it now i've got evidence for it glory to god then as soon as he shows me all that you better not be bored because i'm going to hold you the doors are locked all right as soon as he shows me that jenny i had my eyes closed and, he, and, and, I'm, and I'm processing, and he's downloading and speaking to me all these things about these three years, and I'm like, oh my God, Lord, I see it, and then when that ended, I had a mini vision. It lasted about three seconds. My eyes were closed, but I saw in the realm of the spirit, but my eyes were closed. It's called a, dead Hayden called that a high revelation or a spiritual vision. It's like a picture, but for me, it was a movie, a moving picture like a movie, it's not a trance and it's not an open vision it's the lowest of the three but it happens to me at times and i, ha- I saw a miniature 3 second movie with my eyes closed but i saw it like a, like a movie screen in front of me and the camera if i could put it that way was positioned on the ground so the image i'm seeing is like the like the guy who's whoever's taking that video is like he's lying on the lying on the bank the eastern bank of Jordan, and the camera's on the ground facing up, and you, and it's like ground level, but I'm looking up. I saw that for about three seconds, and what I saw was an older man with white hair, a lot of hair, and that's interesting because Elijah, the Bible says, was very hairy, but he had white hair, looked like white hair, or like, but hairy, but older. You could say the age on him. He was on the left. A younger man was on the right. Obviously, it was Elisha, they both had those, that typical light tan, almost not white, but that kind of long dressy garments with sandals. And they were walking. And I could see Elisha, the younger, had his face turned and he was talking to Elijah and he was nodding his head. I didn't hear what they were saying. There was no audio. I just saw the picture. But this is, this is like, can you, can you picture what I'm saying? You've got the Jordan River that goes north-south. You've got Israel and Jordan as two countries. You've got the western bank and the eastern bank. And what they did is they were walking from Jordan, which is from Jericho, which is here in Israel. They were walking east. They go down through the Jordan. They crest the eastern bank of Jordan. Now they keep walking east into current day Jordan, the country of Jordan. That's the plain. I'm watching this three second video in the spirit on the ground looking upward after they had just come up through the Jordan and they've just started walking into this plane. That's the image that I saw. It was just them starting to walk. As they're walking they're talking and then the and then the little movie ended. And the Lord said to me, just as David entered Hebron to receive his anointing, and Elisha entered the plain to receive his anointing, so you have entered 2020 to receive your anointing. Now listen, he said, what you're going, I'm going to show you is the plain of Jordan represents for us 2020, because the Jordan River represented 19. The plain represents 2020, and he says, I'm going to show you there are four sections to 2020, and two have happened and two have yet to happen. And I want you to be skillful so you don't miss anything. And then he took me to the word. So can you go to second Kings now? Second Kings chapter two, I guess you were right. You, would a cor- you were correct those of you that rebuked me and said, pastor, you talk too slow. You need to talk very fast now. So I thank you that I listened to your wisdom and we're doing good and it's only 248 and I'm almost done. Praise God. So thank you for telling me to talk faster. I'm so grateful that you did. <laughs> Now, 2 Kings, stop it, Taylor. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 1, and it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elijah from Gilgal, and now you, Gilgal, now you go down verse, I'm not gonna read it all, but they go to Je- Bethel, they go to Jericho, and they go to Jordan. One thing I wanna bring out, every time they get to one of these places, the very encouraging mentor looks at the mentoree and says, Why don't you just stay here? I don't need you to come with me. Right? No encouragement. No encouragement. Just stay here. And every time Elisha looks back and says, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I shall not leave thee. Why did that have to happen? It was important that the younger verbalized his commitment. And in 17, there was opportunities to quit and I verbalized to God and to the congregation my commitment. And in 18, the same and in 19, the same. Because the devil trying to get you out of the plan of God. He doesn't want you to get to the plane and get the mantle. He wants to abort it before you get there. And he tried to discourage Elisha. And then the other people would come, the prophets, the school of the prophets. Don't you know you're going to lose your master today? And he'd say, hold your peace. In other words, shut up. If he lived in Texas, he would have said, shut up. But because he's an Israeli, he said, hold thy peace. They're much more nice than we are. But you understand, everything is against him. His mentor is saying, stay put. The people are saying, you know, do you know what's going to happen? A lot of discouragement. But what did he, he kept going. He didn't quit, Jenny. He kept going. Now, go down to verse nine. Oh, my God. 2020 is found from 2 Kings 2, 9 to 13. In those verses, four verses, four verses, five verses, whatever it is, four, nine, 10, verses. In those five verses, everything in 2020 is revealed. That's how God showed it to me. He said, Elisha was coming into the plain to get his anointing like David came into Hebron. I called this your Hebron year. I could have equally said it's your plain year, your, your plain of Jordan year, because they both represent the place to receive not just what you're marked for, but to what's gonna manifest and cause it to come to pass. So he said, now watch, pay close attention to what he did in the plain. You know what he did in the 17, you know what he did in the 18, and you know what he did in 19 in Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan, res- respectively. But now watch as soon as he crests, crests. The I love that. Let me, let me quote you exactly how the Lord said it. From the moment they crested, I love it. It's so poetic the way God speaks. From the moment they crested the eastern bank of Jordan until he received the mantle, it was his Hebron year. And it it is your Hebron year. And it was divided into four parts. He said, now look at what happened the moment they crested the bank until the moment he picked it up. Read in my word and you'll see that is your year of 2020. You're following the symbolism. So we read now in verse 9. They've just gone through Jordan and it came to pass when they were gone over. They've just crested the eastern bank. That Elijah said unto Elisha, what shall I do for thee before I'm taken away from thee? And Elisha said, I pray that a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me, see the condition? If you see me when I'm taken from thee, it shall be as so unto thee. And if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked. That word talked means that they fellowshiped. That behold, there appeared a chariot of fire, and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. It came right in between them, and they were separated. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind, not by the chariot, like you see in the Bible stories that are incorrect. He went up in the tornado. The chariot was there to distract. It wasn't there to take him to heaven. Okay. And Elisha saw it. He saw his daddy go. And he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. And he took also up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. This is 2020. He came through Jordan and then some things happened. He picks up the mantle, he comes back and stands at the precipice of the bank. And the Lord said to me, 2020 represents the plane. He said, four things happened in that plane and four things are gonna happen in 2020. Two have already happened without your knowledge and two are going to happen with your knowledge. So can I tell you what the four things are? What's the first thing, it's a parallel to him. The first thing is he talked with his father. Did you see that? They counted the price. They counted the cost of of the anointing. He's telling them, this is not easy, buddy. He's giving him instruction. He's encouraging him. They're fellowshipping together. Notice that happened at the very beginning of the season of the plain of Jordan. Mm -hmm. Notice nothing further is said in in that season, in that experience where he had anything to do with the father. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, this is the only year. I didn't even think about that, Willie. He said, this is the only year since you met Pastor Nancy and Dr. Dufresne, that you have only seen her once. And I thought back in 2008, even though we only met them in August, I still went twice to California. Remember Jenny? We saw them twice in 08. We've seen them between two and seven times a year, every year from 2008 to 2019. 2020 is the first time ever that I've only seen her once. And it happened at the very beginning of 2020. And the Lord said, he fellowshiped with his spiritual father at the beginning of that season. And you have had time to fellowship with your spiritual father or mother, as you, as you will, at the beginning of this season. And he said, it's, it was not for you to see her again this year. Now, don't ask me how all that works, because I don't know how COVID did that, not me. And I don't understand how all of that stuff works. So don't he, I've tried to figure it out. I can't. I don't understand because COVID's not from God. But evidently, God used COVID to, the, to his purposes, yeah. at least in my life. And he said, just as the beginning of the season of the plain of Jericho started with him fellowshipping with his spiritual parent. So the beginning of the season of 2020 started with you fellowshipping with your parent. And you haven't seen her since. Because it was in my divine will for you to spend time with her in January. Mm-hmm. For her to encourage you. Now, can I tell you this that you don't know? Most people don't know. When we were there, out of all the years we've been at all her services, twice a year, every year from 2009 onward, we've we've always had some kind of fellowship with her, been invited to her, but never once ever, not one time, has she ever had us sit with her at her personal table for every single meal. This year in January 2020 was the first time that she had me sit beside her at her table Every single meal and talk to me every single meal to the point that Jenny and I thought, I hope the other ministers aren't like thinking that we've tried to manipulate this or that we've tried to pay her off or something or bribe her, you know, or give her a bribery basket or something because I, I didn't ask for that. And I didn't know she, she's never done that before. She may never do it again. And I said, Lord, why are you having me sit here so much? I love it, but why? There's other ministers that want her time. And Lord said, she needs to encourage you. I, 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 I've ordained this. I knew it. I knew that God had specifically worked something. I don't know how to explain it, but that that was very important. I didn't know why. I didn't know why. But I knew that his hand was on us to be at that table, and I didn't know why until August the 2nd. He said, I authored that because I needed you to be around your Elijah because of what was coming. Right. I'm telling you, there's things that God arranges that we don't even realize what's happening. So the first season, for what he did is he fellowship talked. There was a bunch of stuff that was accomplished by that. And the same thing at the beginning of the year for us. We haven't seen her since. And we're not going to see her now until next year. But look at that parallel. Yeah. Then the second thing. The second thing he said to me is there was a major, he used the word major, there was a major distraction. Can you imagine seeing a chariot made of fire and horses made of fire? And they come right at you because the Bible said they, it separated them. So he literally went that side and Elijah literally went that side and they went right between them. Can you imagine the distraction of the wonder of the marvel of chariot and horses of fire? Mm, that's amazing. It's a major distraction, yeah. but it was a distraction because what did he say? If you, if you look at the wonder and you don't look at me, you won't get the anointing. Yeah. Look at me, son. Don't look at the wonder. Look at me. And Elisha passed the test. As much, can you imagine how much his desire would have been to look at the wonder of a chariot made of fire and a horse made of fire? I mean, horses are cool just when they look like brown. Can you imagine how cool they would look in a fire? Everything in him wanted to avert his gaze. But he said, I will hold my fast course. I will hold my eye. And the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me. And he said, son, there has also been a major distraction in this year that has tried to pull your gaze. He said it was called COVID-19. And he said, now he didn't author it, but he said that distraction, I don't understand how all this works. I know that didn't come from him, but I'm telling you for, for this, it was used in this parallel. I can't explain it, but I'm just telling you what he said to me. He said, now, listen, you don't know me because, because you're not me. But during that three months, you know how lonely I was? You know how tiring it was to come in here with nobody saying amen, and I don't even know if anybody's even listening, and I'm trying to get under the anointing and looking at a camera, and I don't know if there's one person at the end of that camera or nobody, but I just kept saying to the Lord, I didn't know it was a test. He didn't reveal it to me on purpose, will he? Because he wanted to see what I'd do. And even today, right now, October the 4th, there are churches closed in Toronto. And pastors have taken the excuse for whatever nonsense reason they have. Well, this and the people and I, but they've used it as an excuse to not fulfill the will of God for their churches. And I am not proud, but I can put my hand on the Bible and swear. I'm telling you, I, I, even without knowing this, I would tell you with all my heart, with all my heart, not even knowing it was a test. I would have done it more if I'd known it was a test but with all my heart, not even knowing God was watching me, I gave it my all. I never missed a service. I preached as with as much fire as if you were sitting here. I sweat and bucked and hollered and snort and spat just as much as if you were sitting here. And then when we went to the 30%, I I, I even went overboard and planned an extra service God didn't want on Friday night. Yeah, yeah, that's I have been pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. Why? Because there's been a grand distraction. And in my flesh, everything wants to cut my gaze and say, let's just take a long break. But I have said, no, I will keep my eyes on Jesus. I will keep my eyes on Pastor Nancy. I will keep my eyes on the vision. I will keep my eyes on my calling, and I will push forward. And I didn't know that God was watching me Mary Chris. I had no idea it was a test. I'm so grateful I passed it. And he said to me, the first part of the year was fellowship with your spiritual parent. The second part of the year was a great distraction. And the Lord said, if you had not handled COVID the way you did, you would not have the mantle. Now I know some of you find that hard to fathom because I find that hard to fathom. After 15 years, you're telling me I could have missed something like that. I could have aborted something, absolutely after eight years of Elisha serving the man of God it all came down to one moment if you don't watch me you will not get it Wow! you'd think well God what about all the other years God didn't care about the other years he cared about that moment the other years led up to that moment it was so important to God that Elisha kept his eye on the prize And I had no idea it was this important to God. I had no idea I would have lost something so precious if I had done what the other pastors I know in this city have done. (laughs) But I'm telling you, people may hate me for saying that or what I really, I really don't give it. I really don't care. I've just, I've got over all that nonsense. I'm used to everybody hating me. You want to hate me? Just bring it. There's somebody that hates me more standing in the line in front of you. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine. All I know is that God said that to me. He said it was a year of distraction, a season of distraction, but you passed the test. Thank God I passed the test. You see how important it was that we didn't quit, that we didn't take long breaks? God don't want COVID dictating the vision of his church. He wants the spirit Dictating the vision of his church and the spirit every moment he had he said to me charge forward Craig move forward run faster run faster Don't you quit add service do what you need to do. Don't move. Don't slow down go faster That's the spirit of God. I yielded. I didn't have to but I yielded. Thank God I did it was a test that I passed without even knowing I was in the test. Amen. Now you're ready for the third season He said the third season is represented by him tearing his garment What does that mean? I said lord, what does that mean? He said when he tore his garment, the garment, his garment, his clothing represented my way of doing things, myself, my flesh, my life, my ideas. And what he was saying is, I don't want me. I I, I break me. I rip apart my, my flesh, my selfish desires, my ideas, my ambition, and my thinking that I've got what it takes. I don't got nothing. If I don't have you, I have nothing. So everything that's me, I break it. And I say, give me you. That's what it represents. And he said to me, the ripping of the garment represented the dying to flesh. Are you ready? I'm winding up now. So I said, Lord, now whenever God says that, Dan, I start getting nervous. But I knew in my heart, if the second test was that big, that long, and that important, I think the third test is gonna be equally big and long and important, but I don't know what it is. And now I know it's a dying to flesh, but I don't know how to do that. So what do I do? Do I not watch Ranger Bob on the television anymore? Do I be nicer to Willie, which will be a hard thing to do, but I'll try. Do I stop picking on Taylor? Do I maybe fast chocolate, maybe for two hours and then go back after that long fast? That's about as long as I can fast chocolate for two hours. That's a long fast for me. I I said, Lord, I'll fast broccoli 100 days. (laughs) That's a sacrifice because, Lord, you know how much I love broccoli. I'll fast that for you, no problem. But don't take away the twinkie, please, dear God. I said, Lord, I know you're saying, I I don't know what you're talking about. What does this mean? How am I supposed to put my flesh under? He didn't say anything. I ended that wonderful session with God, all that he shared with me, leading me right up to the ripping of the garment, and then he won't tell me what it means. So I left the thing not knowing what it means. I just know that I have to do it. And he said, and the season is from August to December. That was August 2nd. Then he said, the fourth season is the picking up of the mantle. Mm -hmm. He said, that will not happen until December. I thought maybe I've missed it because he hadn't been talking all year. He said, no, you haven't missed anything. He said, you're right exactly where I want you to be. He said, but there's another test you have to pass, like the, f- the second test of the chariot, the-, the COVID. There's another test you have to pass called the tearing of the garment. He said, and if you pass that test, son, he said, in December. And I said, why so late, Lord? Why at the end? And he reminded me of what he showed dear Willie. He said to her, and she said to me by the spirit earlier in the year, God called it a year of takeoff, pastor, because it's an aviation terminology. And a plane's purpose is not to sit on the tarmac. They didn't build planes to sit on the tarmac. They build planes to fly. Yeah. They have to sit on the tarmac temporarily to get prepared, and then they fly. Yeah. When a plane manifests its purpose, it breaks the law of gravity, and it takes off. Yeah. Then when it's flying, it's fulfilling its purpose in life. Yes. Do you understand? So if you use that analogy, picking up that mantle is is taking off. And the Lord said, what's the last thing the plane does? That all the preparation happens first. Get your seatbelt on, the little mask thing comes down, they do the demonstration. The pilot does all the checks, he puts that gas, he takes the brakes off and it starts to accelerate. Did you notice that all that stuff happens and the very last second, the very last part, it takes off at the end of the runway. It fulfills its purpose yes. at the end. Yes. And the Lord said, I already told you three, Willie, you're going to pick up the mantle. The takeoff, which yeah. represents getting that mantle is going to be at the end of the runway, not at the beginning. Yes. Remember, Willie, you told me that can't tell you how grateful I was on that because I was afraid. You didn't know because I didn't tell you, but I was really starting to get afraid to God. Maybe I've offended God. He's not talking to me. And maybe I've missed it. Maybe the mantle's come and gone like a train and I don't even know it's gone. Oh my God, all these years of talking and I've missed it. And then you by the Spirit said to me, the mantle is at the end because the plane takes off at the end of the runway. And the Lord reminded me of what you said and he said it will be December. I said, so I know now what the two things represent. I know that we're getting this in December, but Lord, please tell me what on earth does the tearing of the garment mean? Because you said that's from August till December. What does that mean? He didn't answer me. I go through the whole, almost the whole month of August. About the midpoint, I heard a little voice as I was praying very quietly say a fast is coming, but that's all he said. So I said, well, Lord, I'm happy. I'll fast Twinkies, I'll fast broccoli, I'll fast whatever you ask. He just needed to talk to me. He didn't say anything again until August 28th. On August 28th, he said something very special to me. He said, did you notice that Jesus was in his 30th year when he went through Jordan, and the first thing he did to get his anointing is he went into the wilderness. Did you notice that? He was 30. He said, what is your anniversary this year? I said, Lord, it's the beginning of my 30th year. He said, and likewise. You have come through Jordan last year. You are entering your 30th year this year, and I want you, like Jesus, to go into the wilderness, and I'm going to give you your mantle. He said it so beautifully to me. Jesus, the Bible said, had a measure of the anointing on him because the dove came, but that was a confirming thing. That wasn't an executing manifesting power. That was a confirmation at Jordan. Did you notice he went in? The Bible says he went in. Just as himself, as a man that was separated unto God and prepared, but no anointing. He came out, the Bible says in Luke 4, with full of the power of the Spirit. It didn't say he went in with the power of the Spirit. It said he came out with the power. So something happened in that wilderness where he picked up the power of the Spirit. What do we call that? That was like a mental you want to call it a mantle anointing, an assignment for Jesus. He got it in the wilderness. Look at the parallel. He came through Jordan. He went to the wilderness. He paid a price. He picked up the power of God. He wrestled with the devil and won, and he came out and fulfilled his ministry. And the Lord said, it's your 30th year. You've come through Jordan, and I want you to go into the wilderness and pick up the mantle. So I said, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll do that. You're telling me you want me to do that, but I don't really still know what kind of fast you're talking about. But I'll, I know now you're comparing it to Jesus. So this is a serious thing. This is a big thing. Just like the COVID thing was a big test. This is a big test. If you're comparing it to Jesus, this is a big test. But I still don't know what you're talking about. So then, two days later, on August the 30th, early in the morning, it was a Sunday morning, I was praying, and I had a mini vision, and I saw a person standing in front of me. I didn't see anything but their hands. I believe it was Jesus, but I don't know. My eyes were closed, but I saw their hands. It was a beautiful, very ornate, engraved silver tray that they were holding, and there was something on the tray. I didn't quite know what it was, but I knew by the Holy Ghost that what He was doing is this He was offering me. It was early in the morning on the the 30th, and this person walked up to me as a mini vision for about five seconds and then it ended I saw this like a person moved walked up to me I could feel their presence even though my eyes were closed and I could see with my eyes closed it's called his closed vision I saw the hands and I saw this tray and there was something on the tray in the middle of the tray and I was looking at the tray and the engravings on it was so beautiful but he he handed he pushed the tray like this he handed to me this to me and I heard the Holy Ghost in my heart say I'm offering you God is so kind He wasn't beating me. It is required, but it is not demanded. Does that make sense? If I don't do it, I will fail. But he's not beating me up over it either. I heard the Holy Ghost say, I am, this being didn't say anything to me. He just did this. And I heard the Spirit very clearly, very loud voice on the inside say, I am offering you a 40-day fast if you will receive it. In other words, I'm not making you. I'm not forcing you. I won't violate your will. But at the same time, I know that if I don't, I'll jeopardize that anointing. God is not into legalism. I know what some of you are thinking. God wouldn't do that. He doesn't do, you don't know God. You don't know the patterns that God works with. God is not legalistic, but God is very strict yet without being legalistic and there's a pattern that he is going to see fulfilled if it's the plan is going to work right and I knew for months whatever this ripping of the garment is is equal in volume and importance as this chariot of fire but I just didn't know what it was and he came to me and he basically said son I'm going to offer you this would you take it and I was crying I mean I just I was crying because because first of all the way he said it was so precious and so beautiful that made me cry he was so kind as he asked me, but then I, then I was crying because I knew what it represented and then fear hit me and I started literally, I was crying heavy and I said, God, I, I, Lord, I, 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 have to, I remember I kind of started to stutter. I said, Lord, I, yes, yes, I'll do whatever, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. The answer is yes. So that's on record. But I said, God, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Africa almost killed me. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Remember I fasted three days last year. I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I started getting afraid because that's a big thing he's asking of me. It's a very large thing physically. But I know it's something so spiritually important to God. And he basically, after all of that, I kept praying. He dealt with me a little bit more about some other things. And he was basically saying to me, son, I want you to go into the wilderness. This is your Jordan plain. This is your ripping of the garment. This is Jesus going through the Jordan, going into the, this is your wilderness. This is your ripping up the garment. This is the dying to the flesh I was talking to you about. I want you to die to your flesh. I want you to crucify your flesh. I want you to die to self and all your interests and all your desires and all your ambition. I want you to go and lay before me. And I want you to get everything out of you that's not me. And I want you to do it. And I know it's extreme and I know it's long, but I'm asking you if you'll do this because it's required. In other words, the price is so heavy, but the precious mantle is so precious, it requires a heavier price. I don't know how to explain that to you. And I accepted it. I accepted it by faith, but I felt afraid. And immediately his kindness kicked in. And he said two things to me. He said, first of all, do you remember when you were younger, when I first met Jenny, you tried to do a 40-day fast? I said, yes, and I did. God didn't tell me to do it. I just did it because David Hogan did it. And David Hogan said, you all should do it. So I said, yes, sir. And I did it. But God didn't tell me to do it. And I utterly failed. I I put myself in jeopardy health wise. Then I had to quit halfway through and go on soups. It just just was a mess because God never authored it. And he said, do you remember you tried to do this years ago? I said, yes, Lord, I do. He said, you failed because I never told you to do it. He said, But I'm asking you to do this. And then he said these words, and there will be a sustaining anointing that will come upon you. I've never heard him say it that way before. A sustaining anointing will come upon you physically to handle the pressure of that. And then he said this to me. He said, In Africa, when you did it for three days, he said, You were weak, were you not? I said, Yes. He said, You were cold were you not? Because when I don't eat, I get very cold. I said, yes. That's why I took like four showers a day, literally. Just not because I just needed to heat my body core up because there was no food. He said, you were weak and cold. He said, but was there one pang of hunger? I had to pause and think for a second. I said, my God, Lord, there wasn't. Right now, if I don't have breakfast by 12, 1 o'clock, I get nauseous. I get dizzy. That's just my physiology, my, my physical body. I can't handle not having my blood sugar drops too low. And I get physically, physical pain, like it's painful. I don't know if you're like that, but I'm like that. So when I realized for that three days of nothing but water, there was not one pang of hunger. And I didn't even realize that until God brought it to my attention. He said, as it was in Africa, because I told you to do that. He said, it shall be for this fast. You will not have one pang of hunger in 40 days. Now, you don't have to believe that, but that's what he told me. Because he authored it and his anointing sustains me. Yes, sir. And I said, then what do I do? Is there anything I do? He said, look at my word. I read what Jesus said when he answered the devil on the first temptation. He said, thou shalt not, he said, thou not live, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I've never seen that word every before. And the Lord said to me, every word, every word sustained him. He said, I want you to read the Bible cover to cover and study it in 40 days. He said, don't listen to it on a a thing. I want your eyes and your ears to read it and study cover to cover every word that's been written for 40 days. And he said, the spirit, remember Jesus said, I have food that you know not of. The will of God and doing the word of God was actually, spiritual, but it actually acted as physical nourishment to Jesus because he was tired and hungry and the disciples were trying to get him to eat. And he said, leave me alone. I have meat that ye know not of, meaning I have nourishment physically that is sustaining me because I'm doing the will of God spiritually. Yeah. Are you with me? The Lord brought that to me, and he said, if you feed on my word, every word, cover to cover, the whole Bible, in 40 days, study it and fast and pray. He said, the spiritual meat of that word will supernaturally, physically sustain you, and you won't have hunger, and you won't have pain, and you will be fine. I said, Lord, I find that hard to believe. That seems almost impossible to me, but if you tell me, I'll believe it. And then I still, afterward, I, I left that prayer time and I said, Lord, are you sure? No pain, no hunger for 40 days. Like, I mean, I still can't believe it hardly. I said, Lord, are you sure? That seems extreme. I said, are you sure? Because I'm dreading it a little bit. And he spoke to me. I said, Lord, you need to confirm it to me. He didn't speak to me. He spoke to my wife. He said, open my word. She opened the word. He went, she went there to where de- Jesus ended. And it says, and after 40 days without food, he hungered and came in the power of the spirit into Galilee. Notice it said, after 40 days, he hungered. Notice it doesn't mention anything about him hungering during the 40 days. It says he hungered after the 40 days. I know people say, well, you're you're nitpicking. Well, that came by revelation to my wife. After the 40 days, he hungered. Didn't say he hungered during. Because why? God was sustaining him. And so he, he gave that as a verse to back up what he had said to me with the scripture with through that I'm going ke- to keep you. You're not going to hunger for 40 days. So I don't want you to feel bad for me. I don't, well, kind of. No, I don't want you to feel bad for me. I don't want you, I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to say he's going to die. Pastor's going to die. Well, if I was going to die, then I wouldn't be able to operate in the, the mantle, would I? But I'm doing this. It took me all of... September that happened on the 30th it took me all of September just to come to grips with it (laughs) just to talk pray talk to my wife get through all the emotions of it tell the staff and get ready for it Mm -hmm. then I'm taking all of October to tell you and to make preparation because he said to me when I say a fast son I'm talking about an extreme fast you have to do it exactly as Jesus did it so I'm not going to see you for four for 40 days I'm not seeing you. There's 16 services that I'm not going to be here for, and I'm asking you to continue being faithful in my absence and not jump ship and not quit your, your tithing and your serving and your, and your attending because between Jenny and, Pat and Reverend Taylor, uh, they're going to be taking the helm because the Lord said to me, he said, Jesus didn't minister during that 40 days and neither will you. He said, cancel the Bible school, cancel all the services in terms of your involvement in them. He said, I don't want you. this' It's extreme. He said, I don't want you talking to anybody in the States. I don't want you talking to Pastor Nancy. I don't want you calling any of your friends. He said, there's no television. There's no internet. There's no emails. There's no texts. He said, cancel all the appointments at church. There's no staff meetings. There's no counseling appointments. There's nothing. He said, there will be no work at home. And like, I don't want you doing stuff like you would normally do around the house, cutting the lawn, doing all these things, doing my private business that I have. He said, you put that on hold for 40 days. He said, there will be nothing done at home and there will be nothing done at church. He said, your responsibility is not to take care of the children that's Wife's responsibility. And then he said, And you will abstain sexually for 40 days. And I said, What? Now you're gone too far, Lord. I said, The Bible says not to test, tempt your wife. She can't be away from me for that long. You know, Lord Jesus, I don't want her to start looking at somebody else. And he gave me a scripture, Jenny. It says in Corinthians that only for the purposes of fasting are a husband and wife to abstain. Did you know that? Not because of fighting, not because you don't agree on the same movie, but because you didn't like her dinner. It says, only for the purposes of fasting are a husband and wife ordained by God to abstain. No other reason is approved by God. Isn't that amazing? Because God knows if you keep doing that as a weapon, You'll open the door, the devil will come in and tempt the other partner. Yeah. Yeah. But he took me to that verse. I mean, that I cried harder over that than the Twiggy. <laughs> I cried more over that than the chocolate bar. He said, now you don't touch your wife for 40 days. I said, yes, sir. He said, you can be, you can be there. You can say hi to her and hug her and be with the children because you're a father and a dad and Jesus wasn't either. He said, but you're not, you're not to do anything else. You're not to have any involvement with anyone else, anything else of any nature, of any kind. This is a complete season of 100% separation for me. I require all of you. I am jealous, and I require all of you. I said, Lord, I'll give it all. I'll give it all. I'll give it all. And he said to me, this is your third thing of the ripping of the garment. And he said, I told you the mantle would come in December. And he said, the last 10 days of the fast will be the most important. So you pray for me, especially from December 2nd to December 11th. He said the last 10 days, the last quarter of it. It's 40 days, 10 is one quarter. He said, the last 10 days will be the most important. And he said, in that last 10 days, you are going, if you're faithful, and if you do it properly, you will pick up what I have for you. And all of this preparation for all these years has come to a head right now. Yes. He said, and you'll pick it up. And he said, you're going to come in the power of the Spirit next year. He's talking about 2021. He said, now you see, I still have the anointing. I've always had the anointing to preach and teach, but this assignment, then that we've been marked for, but has never been on us. Not in a way that is exercised. It's on us to separate us, but not to work through us. That people have said to me for years, well, I don't see the mantle working because the mantle can't work because I haven't picked it up yet. But it's, it's, it's ready, it's ready for us to pick up. There will be a marked difference next year I don't know exactly how or what's going to happen. All I know is the anointing is going to be stronger. There's going to be a marked difference next year in this ministry. Because there has to be. You can't have not have the mantle and then have the mantle and have everything be exactly the same. There's, I don't know what, so don't put pressure on me. I'm not, I don't know what's going to be different. I know the only thing he said to me so far, because remember we're in an overlap season, so he's now starting to whisper about next year. He has said there's going to come an anointing to cast out demons that is going to be far greater than you've ever experienced. He has said that to me. So I know there's going to be a lot more casting out of demons next year than I've ever done in my life before. And we're going to start advertising that on the radio because the Lord said, I want you to tell people on the radio because nobody offers the casting out of devils unless they're weird. There's weird people that get in ditches and that have deliverance ministries. And Dad Hagen said, if you go to them, you'll have more demons than if you didn't go to them. You don't touch people with those weird ministries. They're off. They're, they're, they're not in the line with the word. You've got to be in line with the word. But the Lord said there's, not, there's nobody, hardly anybody out there that, has, that will, will boldly say in a balanced approach that there's deliverance available. Nobody's talking about it. And people are more possessed and oppressed than they are now than they've ever been before. He said, you start talking about it. He won't, I won't, he won't let me talk about it till January. But he said, in January, you start talking about demons. He said. he said, there's going to be a whole bunch of people set free. So I already know that's part of it, but I don't know what else is coming. All I know is that there's going to be a greater measure of power. Yes. He's going to sustain me in this fast because of his word and because of his spirit. And I'm not going to hunger until afterward. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Now I'm asking you, It's 324. Remember, we go till 330, so I'm okay. Now I'm asking you to please pray. This is part one. I've got still a part two, more to share with you next Sunday. But I want you to pray in the, over the course of October. Father. And please, for the love of Pete, don't do a 40-day fast unless God tells you to. Yes. Because you can't do it in the flesh. You will hurt yourself. Yes. But I want you to pray. It would be dishonorable to God if Moses, well, let's look at the Bible. Moses is up on the mountain fasting and praying for 40 days, getting instruction, right? And the people are down there partying. And God was displeased. Because the attitude of the people while the man of God sought his face should have been one of reverence and participation, not one of revelry, revelry and rebellion. So I'm going to the mountain and I'm not going to see you for 40 days, which is five weeks. I'm asking you while you're still at the base of the camp to continue your spirituality to not take a spiritual holiday and begin to go into reverie and nonsense, and I won't tithe, and I won't show up, and pastor's not here anyway. He doesn't know what's going on. Let me just do whatever I want, cast off restraint. Not only that, not only shouldn't you do that, but let's, let's just take it a step up. Why don't you participate a little bit with me, with whatever God's telling you to do? If I'm fasting, why don't you fast a little bit? I'm not going to tell you what or how or how long. Some of you may say, I'll fast, I'll fast two days and then I won't do anything for 38. Fine. Some of you may say, I'll fast for 40 days, but I'll fast television or I'll fast for 40 days or 20, I'll do a 21 Daniel day Daniel fast. Or I'll do, you pick whatever you want to pick. You do whatever God tells you to do. But I would imagine, Willie, that if I'm separating myself to God in this kind of a way, that God, if people are listening, will probably talk to every heart and say, this is what I want you to do. You do this. Don't try to imitate the person beside you or the person in front of you. And don't try to imitate your pastor. You're not him and you're not them. I'm asking you to do this. And while he's doing that, you do this so that the whole congregation out of unity and honor and one accord do something similar to what I'm doing during this 40 days so that you can pick up what God's got for you so that you can show him, Father, I'm worthy of that mantle to come on me. I want to be used by you in the future in a greater dimension like Pastor Craig does. Speak to me, use me. I'll separate myself. I'll, I'll do what you've asked him to do, but I'll do it in my way. Would you all consider praying about that? Because I believe that God has something very special for all of us all of us. You have jobs. You're not like me. I get to not, I don't have to do anything. I get to rest and wait on God. Jesus wasn't building a house in the wilderness. He wasn't doing people's taxes. He wasn't plowing a field. When you fast, you have to take care of your body because you've got no strength going in and you've got to be very careful physically that you don't exert yourself or you can hurt yourself. So I have to be careful what I'm doing. And that's why God's being strict with me. You don't do anything. I don't want you having have any physical exertion because you need to focus spiritually, but your body can't handle physical exertion naturally. But you have jobs. You have to do physical exertion. God takes that into consideration when he asks you to fast. So just be led by the spirit. Praise God. And I didn't say this to the first service, but I'll end with this. And then he kind of whispered. Sometimes God's humorous to me. He's, he's funny. Uh, he has a humorous side, believe me. Um, uh, but, but he kind of whispered to me and he said, didn't I tell Jesus to go to the wilderness? I said, yes. He said, haven't I given you a wilderness? Given me a wilderness? What are you talking about? He said, I gave you Oasis, son. Oh my God. It dawned on me. Didn't even see that coming. He said, that's one of the reasons that I pushed you so quickly to get that property. I need you to have a place away from the smell of your wife's cooking. And dear God, she's a good cook, as you can amply see. He said, I need you to get away from that smell. I need you to get away from the children and all their demands, all their fighting, all their noise, all their homework, all their needs. I need you to, get, I need you to have a place of solitude out in the middle of the bushes. So I went up there yesterday for the first time, we closed the deal on Friday. I went up and got the keys yesterday. I walked around the property, there was a loon. You know a loon, like on our loony? Have you ever seen a loon? Oh, I haven't, but anyway, there was a loon that came right up real close to me. Whatever the noise they make. i dread a rock, I'd try to knock that baby out. No, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't grab the rock. And I got the keys, it's our property, it's ours now, praise God. And, and I'm, But the Lord, the Lord has had it I'm not going to be there forever I want to be with my family too But I'll be up and back And up and back In a place to pray Praise God And We almost had a tragedy At, at, the, at the Oasis yesterday <laughs> Pastor Nancy wants to see pictures So I had the tripod set up With my iPhone And I was taking pictures Of the trees And I'm focused on the pictures Of the trees And I hear splash <laughs> And I turn and I scream Oliver! Because he was with me I don't know where he is, but I heard a splash. I ran down the dock. And, I don't know if you know anything about French boat dogs, but they're the only breed in the world that can't swim. They're, they're divas. They're useless. They can't breathe in the heat. They can't swim in the water. Why are they in existence, I ask you? And I look poor little guy, you know, he's doing everything he can And his nose is above the water when I saw him and then he's sinking under the I can see him. He's sinking and he's looking at me and I jumped down and I grabbed him. Then I lost my grip and he's paddling away from me. So I, I grabbed one hand and I lost my grip because he's so slippery when he's wet. And I gra- and then I almost went in myself. I finally grabbed him by the scruff of the neck. I said, and I finally got him, pulled him up out of the water. And he's he's coughing and water's coming out of his little nose. And I pulled him up and I said, what are you doing? You know not to get in the water. And he just looks at me and goes and gives me a big lick. <laughs> We almost lost them. <laughs> so now they've we've gone on a website called uh, Floaties for Frenchies. And they actually have special... SPECIAL LIFE PRESERVERS HANDMADE FOR FRENCH BULLDOGS. WE'VE ORDERED FIVE OF THEM. AND SO, SO HE'S GONNA, WHEN YOU SEE HIM UP THERE, YOU'LL SEE HIM. HE'LL BE RUNNING AROUND, BUT IF IT LOOKS LIKE HE'S GOT CLOTHES ON, THAT'S HIS LIFE PRESERVER. BECAUSE AT ANY MOMENT HE'LL DIE. <laughs> BECAUSE of THAT WATER. WE ALMOST LOST HIM, BROTHER, BUT I GOT HIM BY THE SCRUFF AND I PULLED HIM OUT TO GLORY. HALLELUJAH. Oasis is ready for me to pray. It's ready for you to rent when I'm done the praying. And uh, we're going to have a great fall. I'm going to obey God. We're in the season of Hebron. We're in the plain of Jordan. We're in the wilderness. We're going to pay the price and we're going to pick up that special anointing and 2021 is going to be a brand new year. Father, bless these precious people. Thank you for their kind and long attention. I thank you that, Lord, I tried my best to explain it from my heart. I thank you for your anointing that helped them to catch it. I thank you that, Lord, they know now where we've come from the three years leading up, what this year represents, what the four sections mean mean and what we're about to enter. And they have a part to play in this season of the ripping of the garment as well. Show them what their part is. Let them do it with joy. Lord, I'm not dreading this. I'm joyful that I get the privilege. It was offered to me by the master. I've taken your offer and I do it with joy. And I can't wait, Lord. I'm not looking forward to the physical stuff, but Lord, I can't wait to honor you, to obey you and to please you and to get in the spirit and to seek your face and to separate myself from the world and to receive the fresh anointing that is waiting for me. I can't wait. And I thank you the people can't wait to do it with me. Whoa, we love you, Jesus. We love being in the perfect will of God. We're in the perfect will of God right now. We're not ahead. We're not behind. We're right where we should be today. I thank you that they run with me in Hebron. They run and they do their part in this ripping of the garment season. They've done their part in the chariot season. They were faithful, Father. They were faithful in life, Jim. They were faithful in person. They passed the test. I passed the test. Lord, I'm about to pass another one. Let them pass it with me. Amen and we pick up the mantle together. In the mighty name of Jesus, I bless you, Father, and I praise you, and I glorify you. It will all come to pass. Everybody said amen and amen.